I hope you guys had a happy Thanksgiving, uh, spending time with your family and friends. Want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to those of you watching online and over in the video cafe. Uh, this particular Thanksgiving season uh, was very meaningful for me. Uh, some of you know my dad this year has been dealing with a very serious health issue, which has been both painful and it made, made it where he couldn't eat food for like six months. And it, it was just really you know, weighing on him, bringing him down. And doctors eventually found and fixed what was going on in his body. And so for me, this Thanksgiving was just very uh, meaningful to me because I got to sit down and have a meal with my dad on Thanksgiving. And so, yeah, I'm very grateful. <clears throat> and uh, I think it's good that in our culture, we take a season where we pause and recount our blessings where we celebrate the good stuff that has happened in our lives. I think it's good for the soul. And I believe that when, when we become a people who are grateful like that, we can feel joy no matter what. And that's my hope for you. Now, as Sherry said, I'm kicking off a new series today uh, that's going to take us uh, right up, up to our Christmas Eve services. And so I want to pause for a second before I get into the message and let you know about our Christmas Eve service schedule. Uh, Christmas Eve takes place on Monday this year. So we're going we're gonna to have like a Christmas Eve weekend. So on Sunday, we're going to have three services Sunday morning on Christmas Eve Eve. And then we're going to have three services Christmas Eve night on Monday. And uh, all six services are going to be exactly the same. And uh, so, you know, what I encourage you to do is to find the service, the day and the time that best serves your family. And we've already planned the service. We planned it out a couple of weeks ago. It's going to be so cool. It's so inspiring. We designed it for the whole family. And so I think it's going to uh, bless you and inspire you. And I also think it's the, <clears throat> the kind of service where... It's a good service to bring an unchurched friend or family member, maybe who doesn't go to church, um, because it's just that kind of service. And so uh, if you're a person who doesn't go to church much, maybe you didn't go to church growing up, maybe church is new to you, you're not sure what you think about God or Jesus yet, uh, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. You're welcome here. This is a safe community for you to explore our faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, during this season... In church world, we typically turn our attention to the narratives that tell the story of Jesus' birth. Because we believe when Jesus was born, God became a human being and lived among us. And in church circles, those of us who grew up in the church, we normally focus on the, the miraculous stories uh, surrounding Jesus' birth, the good stuff, the exciting news. You know, like we normally focus on the, the angel who appears to Mary and says, the power of the Most High God is going to overshadow you. You're going to become pregnant. And, but the, the power of God is going to be on you so that the child will be called the Son of God. And we think about when her fiancé, Joseph, found out that she was pregnant he was going to put her aside quietly so as not to embarrass her. But an angel appeared to him too and said, no, you're to take Mary as your wife once the baby is born. And you're to name that child Jesus, which means the Lord saves because he will save people from their sins. And we think about the angels that came and appeared to the shepherds and directed them to meet Jesus. We think about the star that appeared in the sky and directed the magi from modern-day Iran to come and meet Jesus. We think about the good stuff, right? But you know what? I, I grew up in the church my whole life, for decades. I've never heard someone talk about the unpleasant parts of the Christmas narrative. You know what I mean? Like... 
What about the narcissistic, violent King Herod who didn't want anything to do with Jesus? He was threatened by Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. And what about the dozens of children who were slaughtered in his attempt to kill Jesus? And what about the angel that appeared to Joseph and warned Joseph about Herod's plans and told him to take Jesus and Mary and get out of the country? What about, what about that Jesus, in his earliest years, didn't grow up in his homeland speaking his native tongue? Instead, they fled to Egypt. Jesus became a refugee of violence in a foreign land. What about that? Now, scholars believe that Jesus was about two years old when, when Joseph got the message from the angel and took his family and fled to Egypt. And they believe he spent two to three, maybe even four years in Egypt. And so I want us to get this part of the Christmas story because we don't like to think about it. Jesus' earliest memories was as a child of poverty. Jesus' earliest memories was not of angels singing and magi bringing him presents and shepherds worshiping him. His earliest memories was living as a foreigner in a foreign land where his dad had to leave all of his possessions behind, his business behind, and his dad worked <coughs> various odd jobs to try to keep his family fed. Jesus saw poverty and the oppression that couldn't go with it. He saw it firsthand, and it wrecked him. And so decades later, when Jesus started the movement he called the church, he intended that that movement would do something to help the poor and the oppressed. Now, you may not have ever thought about this, but when Jesus first began his public ministry at the age of 30, he began to speak in different synagogues. And the very first message that the historian Luke records that Jesus preached was not a message about eternal life. It wasn't a message about forgiveness. It wasn't a message about sin. It wasn't a message about money or sex. It was a message about poverty and his intent to do something about it. So let me set up the scene. So Jesus was baptized. God's spirit filled him up as he began his public ministry. Jesus went to his local synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah, and this is recorded in Luke chapter 4. This was the first message that he spoke that Luke recorded. You ready? This is Luke 4 verse 18. <clears throat> The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down because that's how teachers in their day taught. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said... Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And when Jesus spoke the words of this prophecy from Isaiah, when he read this scripture, he announced that he was the one the prophet was speaking about. The prophet was speaking about this future leader, this Messiah, this Christ, this king, who was going to come and begin a movement. He was going to start a new thing. And this new thing was going to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. His new movement would bring good news to those who are like him as a child. 
And have you ever noticed that poverty and oppression often go together? Because when people are poor, sometimes those who are not take advantage of those who are poor and thus oppress them. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So some of you know for the last 20 years, our church has supported uh, the Casa God P.S. Hermosos uh, Orphanage in Chihuahua, Mexico, serving anywhere from 60 to 80 children for these past 20 years. And uh, early in our relationship, they came upon a, a challenging time, and the director of the orphanage got a loan from a local wealthy believer. Anyway, he was having a hard time paying back the loan, and so he talked to me about it, and I asked him, I said, well, you know, what are the terms of the loan? And he said, well, the, the person is charging me 5% interest, and I'm having a hard time paying back. And f first thing in my, I thought of when he said that was, how creepy is that to charge interest to an orphanage? Oh, my gosh. And, and then I said, well, help me understand. So it's, you know, but I was thinking, okay, but 5%, 5 is not that bad, you know. 5% per year. He said, oh, no, it's not 5% per year. It's 5% per month. That's 60% per year. That's oppression. That is how wealthy people sometimes oppress the poor. Now, I, I do want you to know, when I found that out, our church paid off the loan. And we told them not to ever get a loan from... <laughs> some wealthy believer in Chihuahua again, if they had a need to come to us. But I tell you that story because I've heard that story over and over and over again all around the world as God's given me the, the blessing of being able to, to meet people around the world. When people are poor, oftentimes the wealthy oppress them. And Jesus brought good news to the poor and the oppressed. And I want to go back to this scripture that, that, he, that he spoke said this is about me. I want to unpack what he was saying when he spoke that message because when Jesus talked about setting prisoners free, he was talking about people who were in debtor's prison. You see, throughout history up until recent times, if you owed a debt to someone and you couldn't pay it back, they could throw you into debtor's prison until somebody paid off your debt. And when Jesus was talking about setting prisoners free, he was talking about getting people out of the, the, the bondage of poverty. And when Jesus talked about recovery of sight for the blind, he was talking about how physical illness, especially in his day, like blindness, often led to poverty and marginalization. And so he brought good news for the blind because when Jesus healed a blind person, it not only uh, helped that person see again, it helped that person get out of the endless cycle of poverty because most blind people had to beg for a living. And when Jesus talked about the year of the Lord's favor, he was talking about this wonderful practice in the Jewish culture called the year of Jubilee. And in the, in, in the Jewish culture, every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, get this, all debts were canceled, no matter what kind of debt they were. And uh, if anyone was in a debtor's prison, they were set free, they were released, and if you were an Israelite and you owned property, but you had to sell it to pay off a debt, you got your property back. Folks, that's good news. And this is what Jesus was saying. Today, this is going to be fulfilled in your hearing because I'm that person. When Isaiah foretold about this Messiah, this Christ, this king, this leader, this leader came to bring people eternal life forever, to offer all people 
eternal life through faith in him. Jesus came to, to help people experience an abundant life here and now. And Jesus' movement is intended to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. And I'm concerned that we've lost sight of this third part of Jesus' movement. I think we should focus on people who feel lost in life, who feel far away from God. And our church does do that. We are very focused on helping people believe in Jesus so they can begin a relationship with God. And we, that will never change. And I do believe we as a church should help people uh, get free from the, the hurts and habits and hangups that keep them from thriving in life. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. And we will always do that. But there's a third part of Jesus' movement. And that is his focus on the poor and the oppressed. When Jesus saw poverty and oppression, it wrecked him because he remembered his childhood. And I believe what wrecked Jesus ought to wreck us. So in this series, I want us to focus our attention. Thank you. So in this series, I want to focus our attention on one of Jesus' most famous stories because it's all about this part of his movement. Now, Jesus, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment of all commands? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he said, the second one is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the law is about those two uh, commands. And the person who asked the question said, okay, well, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? And Jesus told this story called the parable of the Good Samaritan to answer that question. What does it mean for me to love my neighbor as, as myself? This is a Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And, and in this story, Jesus is going gonna to talk about a person in need and a person who shows radical love. You ready? This is 10, uh, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, okay? So Jesus describes a person in need. And in this case, it's a per person who's been beaten and robbed, but, but it's just a person in need. It could be a poor person, a marginalized person. It's a person in need. And Jesus is saying here, radical love means noticing a person in need. And then he tells this this part of the story where two religious leaders avoid the man in need and pass on the other side. What's that all about? Well, in their culture, in their religion, if they had helped this man who was bleeding, they would be considered ceremonially unclean, so they couldn't go to their religious service for a while. And so get that, and Jesus is making a point here, they, they so misunderstood what it meant to love God that they allowed their focus on religious rituals to lead them to do the wrong thing. Because the greatest way we can show love for God is by showing love to others, especially people in need. And these two religious leaders were focused on religious rituals. Now, there's nothing wrong with religious rituals. I like religious rituals. But the most important practice and expression of our religion is to show radical love to others, especially those in need. And that's Jesus' point in this story. Radical love doesn't say, well, if I help this person, I may have to miss church for a month. Radical love says, if I help this person and I miss church for a month, I'll be the church for a month. The story doesn't end. All right? Verse uh, 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So here was the good Samaritan, a foreigner. And did you notice what he did? He took pity on the man in need, and he took care of him. The good Samaritan bandaged his wounds. The good Samaritan took the wounded man to an inn, which in their day was the closest thing to a hospital. He took him to a place where he could recover and have his needs met. And the wounded man paid, uh, the good Samaritan paid for the wounded man's expenses. The good Samaritan took pity. The good Samaritan saw someone in need and acted. The good Samaritan saw someone in need and gave. The Good Samaritan showed radical love. When Jesus saw the poor and the oppressed, it wrecked him because he remembers how it felt when he was a kid. And he was determined that his movement would do something about it. The ultimate way that we show radical love is by loving all people, especially those in need. But somewhere along the way in your spiritual journey, what wrecked Jesus has to wreck you. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was in seminary, preparing myself to be a leader of Jesus' movement, I was pretty much oblivious to the needs of the poor and the oppressed. It wasn't that I didn't care. Uh, honestly, it's because I just never was around any poor people. I think it's a part of the challenge of growing up in su the suburbs. The suburbs sort of like insulate us from the needs of the poor and the oppressed. And so I just, I had never met any poor people, so I didn't, didn't really know much about it. But then something happened in our world that God used to just change my heart, and it wrecked me. When I was in seminary in the 1980s, a civil war broke out in the East African nation of Ethiopia. And at the same time, a severe famine occurred in their land. Immediately, millions of people became homeless and helpless. And each week, I, I saw reports of weeping parents who were homeless and helpless. And I saw the faces of starving children. One million people died within a few years in Ethiopia. I mean, folks, think about that. That's like the entire population of San Antonio dying in a few years. And when I saw the needs of my world, it just, it wrecked me. And it wrecks me to this day. But to be honest, I felt powerless. I felt paralyzed. Like, I mean, I was in seminary. I was barely making ends meet myself. What could I do to help the poor and the oppressed? Those who were suffering around the world. I just, I felt powerless to do anything. But a Christian organization that was, that was on the ground in Ethiopia, and they go all around the world to help the poor and the oppressed, they helped me get clarity about what I can do in the face of such a, a giant task of poverty and oppression. Because they had a principle that guided them, and ever since that day, it's guided me. And this, is, this was their principle. You may not be able to change the world, but you can change the world for someone. Would you say that with me? Let's say it together out loud. You ready? You may not be able to change the world, but you can change the world for someone. And from, from that day forward, Barbara and I have supported uh, poor people over and above what we give to the church. Oftentimes, it's been children, but in other cases, it's been organizations that are making an impact 
where people are poor and oppressed. And I've not been able to change our world, I'll be honest with you. But I've changed somebody's world. I've done something. And I am, I am grateful that I've been in the place where I could do something. And I believe we're called as a church to do something. We, we may not be able to do everything for everyone, but together we can do something for someone. We may not be able to end all suffering, but together we can end someone's suffering. We may not be able to make everything right, but together we can make something right. We may not be able to change our world, but together we can change a lot of people's worlds. And that's what I'm calling us to do. As we as a church movement express radical love in our culture. And so this is what I want you to do. First of all, looking back on the Good Samaritan. First of all, I'm asking you to give something. Because radical love gives. Specifically, I'm asking you this season to give a sacrificial offering to our social action fund. That is the fund that goes to support our social action partners that we have both here locally and around the world. And we use it to help poor people who live right here in San Antonio. And when you give to the social action fund, it's like the, the same way that the Good Samaritan gave to the person he saw in need. It's our way of trying to help the people who need it to get it. And uh, for those of you who've been around for a while at City Church, uh, this social action fund is the new name of our global initiative fund. We, we decided we wanted to change the name to reflect more fully what it means to show radical love. And so we changed the name to social action. Because love not only gives, it does something. Because radical love acts. Now, I, I told you a few weeks ago that our church in 2019 is going to be laser-focused on helping people live with purpose. And a key aspect of living with purpose is showing radical love to people in need. And so sometimes expressing radical love happens in the moment. Okay, so like the, the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan noticed someone in need and followed on, on what was wrecking him in his heart and did something about it. And so I'm, I'm encouraging you to do that. Sometimes you're just going to come across someone in need and I encourage you to take notice and to take care of people in need. Sacrificially help them if you can. And you know what that means? It means you've got to rearrange your finances so you can do that when you come across people in need. And then sometimes, though, radical love, for us to express radical love, it needs to be intentional, strategic, and ongoing. And City Church is committed not only to, to have resources to help others, but some of our greatest resources is our people. And we want to help you engage in a way that fits who you are, how God has wired you to live with purpose and to show radical love to people in need. And so City Church has a social action leader. And her task is to lead us to work with our social action partners to show radical love to people in our city and around the world. And so I've asked her to come and share what we have done and what you can do. So would you join me in welcoming our social action leader, Damaris Fike. Thank you, Brent. Thank you. So this year has been an incredible year here at City Church. And as your director of our social action efforts, I just wanna say that I am amazed on how you stepped up to show radical love in our city and in our world. And so I wanna share the impact you have made these last 11 months. 
So last May, we kicked off something called Feed SA Campaign, where we gather food and funds for the food bank. Well, through that and also donations throughout the rest of the year, we have provided the San Antonio Food Bank with 387,801 meals for the food secure and insecure in our city. That was you. Also during that campaign, we also asked and challenged many of you guys to sign up to serve across the city in different organizations. We had over 700 volunteers sign up from that point and throughout the year through our monthly serve days. And then that all together combined a total over 2,000 serving hours combined. And we have a team that goes out every month to serve different organizations, and we have 68 folks committed to be on call on that team. And this year, through your giving to the Social Action Fund, we have supported nine nonprofit organizations. We've helped assist 60 families in need through an emergency fund we call Benevolence. And we have partnered with Strong Foundation, a homeless shelter here in our city that has helped support and provide shelter and meals for 56 families. And we've provided 41 scholarships to students in Liberia in a school that we help build in our partnership with Liberia now. And we've helped maintain and meet the needs of up to 80 kids at Casa Hogar Orphanage in Mexico. Your impact this year has been significant in our city and in the world. But folks, we're not done yet. That movement that Jesus started, there's so much more work to be done. As Brent mentioned, we are intentional and strategic in finding ways to do good in, in our social action efforts. And you are part of that plan. Now, some of you guys are already engaged in your community serving. Continue to do that. And hey, if you want to share what you're doing, I would love to know more about it. But for those that need help finding a way to connect in our city, don't worry, I got gotcha. you. There are several organizations that we partner with here locally, and I wanted to share about a couple of them. Centro Seguro is a 24-hour drop-in center for kids ages 5 to 24. The kids that they receive there are often homeless, living in unsafe, living in unsafe conditions, or have run away from home. And sadly, a lot of those children have fallen victims to sex traffickers. And so Centro Seguro said that's not okay. And so their mission is to connect with these kids, to build trust, and help them get off the streets. And so they're looking for people who will commit to serve on a regular basis mentoring these children. SA Church of Hope is committed to care for the homeless population in our downtown area. They serve every second, fourth, and fifth Sunday of every month out at a bridge at El Paso in Cesar Chavez, under a bridge there, and they help serve meals and share Jesus with them. They're always ready to receive folks to help them with that. And our friends at the San Antonio Food Bank serve over 58,000 food insecure in their city each week. And so there are volunteer opportunities through their warehouse, through uh, a new program delivering meals to folks, through their urban garden. There's so many ways to connect and get involved. And then there's Strong Foundation, a homeless shelter that we've supported since the beginning of their, their start. And since then, they've served over 700 families. 
they not only provide them with food and shelter, but the cool thing is they give them classes on how to just build themselves as family. And what I really love about them is that they're not just focused on individuals, but they're about building the entire family. They're ready to receive folks to jump in. And maybe some of you guys want to get a different feel of different organizations. Like I said, we have a social action team that serves every month through our serve days. Not only do they do that, what we're noticing is that as we continue to show this radical love around our city, organizations are calling us and asking us for help. And so we want to be ready to take action. So join our social action team at city.church circle. Our next serve day is December 15th, and we have chosen five locations that you can volunteer at. You can visit city.church serveday to find a location and sign up with your entire family. And is there anybody in here that enjoys walking, running, power walking? I do enjoy power walking. I'm not going to be shameless about it. I once told a friend that my, my greatest hobby, my favorite hobby is walking, and he laughed at me. But I think, I think walking is a hobby. I enjoy it. And so if you're like me who likes to walk or power walk or run or stroll, we have something called the Love Run 5K. This is a run to help raise awareness and funds for several of our social action partners. There are folks outside ready to sign you up, or you can always visit loverun5.com to do that. There's no better reason to run. And perhaps some of you guys want to go beyond our city. For the first time this year, we took, in many years, we took a team of volunteers to Casa Hogar. And they did such a wonderful job there in Mexico that we have scheduled five additional trips for next year. We're looking for people who specialize in construction, electrical work, and roofing. And we're also looking for people that can invest in children and that work with kids. So if this is you, please pray and consider your involvement in our mission trips. When you came in, you should have received a booklet. Everything I talked about is in there, and there's more information. Also, information on how we plan to invest our funds for 2019. And so I will also be out on the plaza after service. If you want to ask any questions, I would love to talk to you more about it. So earlier, Brent had mentioned what wrecked Jesus and what wrecked him. And I want to share what wrecked me. Unlike Brent, I didn't have a specific particular moment. You see, the reason for that is I grew up relatively poor. My parents had sacrificially answered the call to serve in small Hispanic churches all over Texas, in the Midwest, up north. And so we had uh, limits, limited resources, and the people that we served also had limited resources. And so what I saw and what I experienced growing up is that how not having the resources can really be an obstacle. And I knew as I got older that that is not okay. That we need to do something to lift people up, whether it's an emergency or it's been something that they've struggled with generation after generation. And so that is why I'm passionate and now excited to lead you in our social action efforts. And I want my desire is for you to realize the power you have to change the world for someone, that you have the power to take action. And one of the ways that we do that is also through prayer. 
And we, we are gonna do that today. I've invited a few of our partners to come. Um, they are doing work on the front lines here in San Antonio. Jim and Carol Lee Gibson are at Strong Foundation serving families. Chuck Paul is at Centro Seguro helping kids get off the streets. And Dorcas Rogers is with SA Church of Hope serving the homeless population in our downtown area. And so we're gonna do something. I'm gonna ask you guys to stand. And something that we do here at City Church is a practice we call laying of hands. And this just means that we stand with them or we stand in agreement with them. So those that can, that are closer, I'm gonna ask you to come and actually lay your hands on them. And the others of you that can't reach, I'm gonna ask you to just extend your hand out towards them. And we're going to pray for them. Will you please join me? God, I just thank you for this team of people. These folks that have laid down their lives, have laid down their time, and have sacrificed so much to do the work you've called them to do. I thank you because they not only do it because uh, they feel they have to, but God, they have a desire to change our city. And God, I pray that you would empower them. I pray that you would give them the strength. I pray that you would give them the spirit to wake up each morning and to answer the call that you have called them to. God, I pray for their families and their finances. And God, I pray for favor upon them. Every time they go into a meeting or meet with a, an official, or meet with other organizations, I pray that they can see the presence of God on them as they walk in every step. God, I pray for the folks that they serve. I pray that through the work that our partners do, they can see Jesus in them. And God, I pray that you would just show us as a body, as a church, to know how to respond and serve them well. I thank you and I pray a blessing over them as they continue to do the work in your movement. And God, we ask this all in the precious and holy and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, would you join me in thanking our social action partners? Thank you, guys.